to, to get back from a flight and have people saying, oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much. That was incredible. And to be able to share this amazing part of aviation with other people is, like I said, that's what makes it worth doing. Welcome aboard the High Fly Media Podcast, dedicated to sharing the stories and experiences of the amazing people who make aviation happen. From pilots like me, to engineers, air traffic controllers and others, I'll explore their personal journeys, the challenges they've faced and the triumphs they've achieved. My name is Damien and I'll be your host. Whether you're a seasoned aviation enthusiast or new to the field, I invite you to join me as we take off on this journey of discovery. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for an extraordinary aviation experience as we embark on a thrilling new episode of the Highfly Media Podcast. Today I have the privilege of hosting Sean Kelly, an aviation pioneer and the mastermind behind Paradise Seaplanes. With about 8,000 hours logged in the air, Sean's expertise and passion have propelled him to new heights in the industry. So welcome, Sean. Thank you very much for joining us, Sean. It's, I'm really, really appreciative yeah, of your pleasure. time. My pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having me. I must confess, Sean and I are sitting on the beautiful Sunshine Coast next to the Marucci River. The sun is shining, but we are on a road, so there may be a little bit of background noise. So, I'm an Australian, and we're sitting on the sunny coast, and your accent's not Australian. What's the story? So, yeah, so I'm from California originally. Uh, met a nice Aussie girl in California. Um, fell in love, got married. We were coming down here to visit her rallies about once or twice a year, and about the third or fourth time we were headed back to the States, I just looked at her, I said, why do we keep going back to the States? Why don't we move here? I love this. And she said, really? I said, yeah. So it took us a couple of years to get everything sorted. But uh, yeah, we've been here for about 14 and a bit years now, I think. And uh, Sandy keeps trying to get me to go back to the States on holidays. And I keep looking at her and saying, why would I want to go someplace on holidays that's not nearly as nice as where I live? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I can attest to that. Every time I need to travel for work and you go, oh, this place is so nice. And then you fly back into the Sunshine Coast and you're just like, nah. Yeah, that's it. This is you paradise. Know. You've aptly named your company. Yeah, Paradise Seaplanes. Um, so what about you? So you, you grew up in California? I actually grew up in Colorado. So I was born in California. My, my family moved to Colorado when I was about six. And um, by the time I was about 21 or 22, I'd had enough of snow and cold and ice and decided I was going to move back to California. And, right. And uh, yeah. And then what was the pathway to you getting in the cockpit? Well, I actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. And when I was in high school, I went and talked to my guidance counselor. And she said to me, you, there's no way you can be a pilot. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, for one thing, you wear glasses and you can't be a pilot unless you've got perfect vision. And I went, oh. And then she said, plus, you've got to be really good at maths. And I've looked at your math scores and you're not. And I went, oh, yeah, that's true. Dream crusher. Yeah. And then she said, well, and then we found out that I'm a little bit colorblind. And she said, well, that's it, because you absolutely cannot be a pilot if you're colorblind. So I said, all right, fine. So I headed off into the world and sort of accidentally became a real estate valuer and wound up with my own real estate valuation company. And one day my secretary came in and she said, guess what I'm going to do this weekend? And I said, I have no idea, Robbie. What are you going to do this weekend? She said, I am going to fly an airplane. I said, what? She said, yeah, you can go to the airport, get with an instructor, they'll take you up and let you fly the plane. 
I said, oh, that's amazing. I said, call him up, get me a slot. So she did. So how old were you at this so stage? I was probably 32, 33, yeah, something right. like that. Yeah. And uh, so we went down to the airport. I got in this Cessna 172 with the instructor, went up, he let me fly the airplane, and I thought, man, this is the coolest thing ever. And he said, well, you should get your license. I said, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. He said, why not? I said, well, I wear contacts. He said, is your vision correctable to 2020? I said, yeah, it's 2010. It's better than 2020. He said, oh, that's fine. I said, well, <laughs> I'm also not really good at maths. He said, can you do addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division? And I said, yeah, all day long. He said, oh, that's all you need. So I said, well, I'm also a little bit colorblind. He said, well, you might not be able to fly at night. Really? That's it? He said, yeah. I said, sign me up. <laughs> and so my plan originally was I was going to take one lesson a month because, you know, time, money, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And I thought, all right, well, it's going to take me forever and a day to get my license, but at least I'm working on it, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and worst case, once a month, I get to go, get to fly. go flying. So that was my plan. We're going to go do once a month. So first lesson, I came in, did the lesson, went, oh, that was so cool. Maybe... I could do this every two weeks. <laughs> so we set an appointment for two weeks going. and came in for my second lesson and went, man, this is just awesome. Maybe I could do this once, twice. Okay, definitely not more than three times a week. <laughs> and just became obsessed. That's and, awesome. Uh, so yeah, I started flying three times a week, got my private license, eventually went on, got my commercial multi-engine instrument rating, instructor rating tailwheel endorsement, you know, everything I could do. The whole box and dice. Yeah. That's so cool. So eventually wound up owning a flight school. So I, I, wow. I opened a flight school with the guy that taught me to fly tailwheel, yeah. which, was, which was really awesome. And that was in California? That was in California. What we, airport were you flying out of? Not um, that I'm going to know. <laughs> originally Watsonville, right. which is the airport for Santa Cruz County, which is yeah, probably 100 miles or so south of San Francisco. Okay. So right on the coast. Yeah. And we, we wanted to start a flight school that was, that was doing something a bit different. When I had about 300 hours, decided I needed my tailwheel endorsement. And that was how I met Robin, who's the guy I eventually wound up starting the flight school with. Right. And Robin was a very interesting character. We were, he was going to teach me to fly tailwheel in a, in a J3 Cub. So after a bit of ground instruction on how to even start the damn thing, because no starter or anything, yeah. so you got to learn how to hand, hand prop, prop safely it. and do all that. Finally get this thing started, get in, and I don't know if you're familiar with a, a Cub, but it's tandem seating, so front and back, front and, yeah. back and the pilot actually sits in the back seat. Right. So we jump in the airplane, I climb in the back, start to taxi out, and weaving back and forth trying to see where I'm going. Yep. Finally get this, you know, put the throttle forward, you know, more weaving back and forth as we try to get the tail up and get the airplane airborne, get airborne. And as I get airborne, I realize that Robin is about four feet wide and the few <laughs> instruments that there are in a Piper Cub are in, on the panel in front of the guy in the front seat. Yeah. And I realized I couldn't see any of the, any of the instruments. And I said, Robin, I can't see the airspeed indicator. And Robin goes, so? And I thought, what? this guy's an idiot. <laughs> Robin, if I can't see the airspeed indicator, how am I going to know how fast I'm going? 
And he goes, well, how does it sound? How does it feel? Mm. And I went, um, a bit slow? He said, good, get the nose down. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So we went up, flew around, did some upper air work. Yeah. Coming back in, coming into the circuit. I realized I couldn't see the altimeter. Robin, I can't see the altimeter. And Robin goes, so? (laughs) Robin, if I can't see the altimeter, how am I going to know when I'm at circuit height? And Robin goes, you have 300 hours commercial multi-engine instrument rating, and you don't know how big the cars on the ground are when you're in the circuit? (laughs) And I went, well, yeah, I guess so. Good. Go down until the cars are the right size. (laughs) And I went, oh. Wow. So it was, it was sort of a, the start of a completely different way of flying. And I, I came to realize that what I'd been doing up to that point was operating the airplane. Mm. And I wasn't really flying it. Mm. And it had never really felt the way that I had hoped it would. You know, I always wanted to be just like a bird up there, just flying around, just, you know, as natural as can be. Yeah. And it wasn't. So Robin and I... Robin and I started doing a bit of flight instruction together, and Robin basically changed pretty much everything about how I flew the airplane. Wow. And it was a complete game changer, and it really did take it from operating the airplane to flying, and I loved it. And so I, one day we were talking, and Robin was saying that his experience had been very similar to mine, except yeah. he had 700 hours yeah. commercial multi-engine instrument rating yeah. when he learned to fly tailwheel. And his friend, Paul King, well, wasn't a friend at the time, but had been become one since. Paul King had taught him all these things. And I said to Robin, I said, man, how good would it have been if we'd have learned this stuff from the beginning, mm. right? And he, he said, yeah, it really would have. Because when I first started learning the stuff that Robin taught me, I was kind of cranky with my primary flight instructor because I thought, man, you know, this guy, why didn't he teach me this stuff? Mm -hmm. But what I realized was that that guy basically was doing what 95% of instructors do. Yeah. And so we thought, well, it would be kind of cool to have a flight school that would teach people from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, we ought to start one. And Robin said, well, that's ridiculous. You can't just start a flight school. And I said, why not? He said, well, for one thing, we don't have an airplane. I said, all right, no problem. Got on the phone, called a friend of mine that had a Cessna 150, said, hey, this is what Robin and I are thinking about doing. Would you be happy to cross-hire your airplane to us? And she said, yeah, if it's you and Robin, I'd do that. So I hung up the phone and said, all right, we've got an airplane. (laughs) He said, well, we need an office. I said, well, Robin, we're sitting in your office at the airport. He goes, well, I guess that's true. That could work. I said, okay, cool, next. He said, well, we, we need to have insurance. So I called my insurance broker and told him what we wanted to do, what the airplane was. He goes, yep, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Insurance solved. Sold it. And then the really, really hard part, which was, what do we call this thing? <laughs> and that actually took us much, much longer than it did to actually do all the other stuff to get the flight school started. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so we spent hours and hours and hours just kind of kicking different names back and forth, and I'd come up with something, and Robin would go, no, that's stupid. He'd come up with something, and i go, ah, that sounds silly. And after about 
four or five hours of this, Robin just goes, screw it. Let's just call it Acme Aviation. <laughs> and I laughed. And then I thought about it. And I thought, you know, actually, that's kind of good. Because at the time, phone books were still a thing. Yep. So obviously, Acme is going to get you close to the close beginning. Close to the front. Oh. Um, the actual, the, the word is sort of a 1940s-ish feel to it. Yeah. You know, yep. 30s, 40s feel. And that's the, that's the age of aviation that Robin and I both really loved. I mean, right. we just loved that golden age of aviation. and. Yep. And the tailwheel airplanes and, and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, yep, that works. The actual meaning of the word is, is the high point or the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's, that's good. And then the final thing, obviously, is, is Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yep, that's all I thought of. Which is, you know, so, so that means that every time somebody hears the name, they get a smile. Yeah. And they remember the name pretty easily because, you know, Wiley Coyote. Yeah. And so I thought, heck with it. Let's, let's do it. Let's call it Acme. I gotta, and so we did. I've got to admit, I Reggio stalked your plane on Cass's, you know, registration mm. search, and there it was, Acme Aviation Proprietary Limited. Yep, that's it. And when that's we came so to cool. Australia, we just brought the name with us. And that's so. very cool. It's coincidental that you mentioned that experience you had about, you know, you wanting to fly like the birds, but being taught how to operate an aeroplane. In my interview, well, I talked to Paul Strike, and then mm. I talked to one of his instructors as well, Gregory, and it was off the mic Gregory and I were talking and we were talking about because I'm at about 300 hours and I've done very similar endorsements that what you did by that point yep. in time and I said to Gregory I've never flown for the sake of flying I've never just gone you know what let's just go for a buzz yep it's and because it's always been with a purpose exactly. I've had to fly somewhere to do something or I'm just I've got to do three takeoffs and landings to check this box so I can stay current or whatever it is it's never been like I've never gone for the $100 hamburger for the sake of it you yeah. know well, and it's hard to do in Australia well yeah you're probably going to go for like a $300 hamburger <laughs> um, but you know and I said to him I've just not done it so that's as I get back into aviation that's my goal is to, to do that and I'll do that through through Paul and, and working with Gregory. Um, my my path at the moment will hopefully eventually take me to an instructor's rating. That's where I want to go. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm edging up to 50 and I'll ride that wave out yep. on the way out. So interesting to hear that kind of reinforces that to me that, hey, that's a good thing. It is. And, and, and to be honest, instructing is probably my favorite thing that I've ever done in aviation. Mm -hmm. I'm one of these really weird people that thinks that, that thinks instructing is, is fantastic. And the, the, the main reason that I'm not instructing at the moment is just because it's very difficult in Australia. So I'm, I'm actually a grade one instructor here in Australia. Mm -hmm. But in Australia, you are not a, you're not allowed to teach people to fly unless you're working for an approved flight school. Right. Whereas in the States, if you're an instructor, you can teach people to fly. Right. Full stop. No additional paperwork, no anything. Wow. You know, because you're an instructor. Yeah. And so you can teach people to fly in your own airplane. You can teach people to fly in their, in their airplane if, if their student has their own airplane. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to work for a flight school, you can work for a flight school. It's... And it gives you a lot of a lot of flexibility. When I came here to Australia, um, 
I realized that the the structure around the approved flight schools is amazing in that you have a an approved syllabus that you must teach to. There are words, even though it doesn't say this in the regulation, if you want to get through your check rides, there are words that you have to say. Uh-huh. You know, as you're teaching a student, you have to say these words in this order and this wow. phrase, and you've got to teach them this way. Yeah. Because that's the way it's done. Yeah. And there are times when there are actually better ways to do it. Mm. And the Australian system does not allow for that. Yeah. And right? that's something that Paul was very passionate about too. Same same kind of thing. There's got to be better ways to teach. That's because he's a tailwheel pilot. <laughs> well, this is tailwheel true. Tailwheel guys are the best. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did mine in the decathlon up in Toowoomba no, many, many years good. back. That's good. Um, so you've learned to fly in the States. You've owned a flying school, established Acme Aviation Flying School. Yep. And then obviously got swept up by the beautiful Sandy. Yes. Came to the Sandy Shores of Australia. Yes. And then when we met, that was um, probably about 10 years ago now, roughly. And I don't, I can't recall if Paradise Seaplanes was a thing then or how did that come about? We probably would have just been starting it. Um, I was... I was very frustrated with instructing. And the other thing that happens in Australia as an instructor is that they generally don't pay the instructors really well. Mm. And and they often try to just pay you for flight time. Right. And, you know, if you're 20 years old and trying to build hours, that, that probably looks... Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. But if you're if you're not, it, it sort of doesn't. Yeah. And so I just I had gotten very frustrated with that entire process and decided that I wanted to go and do something on my own again. Because I've been mostly self-employed for most of my life. Mm-hmm. And when I first came to Australia and was thinking about working for somebody else, I was thinking, man, that would be awesome. You know, how good would that be? You come in in the morning and the boss says, you know, last night, the uh, fuel truck ran into the wing of the airplane and it's going to be out of commission for three weeks. And you go, geez, that sucks. Mm. Call me when it's fixed. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's not my problem. Yeah. And uh, so I was thinking, man, that'd be really good. I'd, I'd be up for that. But I guess if you've spent most of your life working for yourself, trying to work for somebody else sometimes can be a bit frustrating, probably for both parties. Yeah. And uh, I just really, really wanted to get back on my own. I'd always been fascinated with seaplanes. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a seaplane business. So we got the, uh, yeah, I, I started thinking about what did I want in an airplane? Because I knew that trying to get the permits to do this was going to be a nightmare. Yeah. And I knew noise was going to be one of the really, really big issues that I was going to have to deal with. So I started looking at a bunch of different airplanes. I, sat down and wrote myself a list of sort of what I needed in an airplane. Mm -hmm. So quiet was at the top of the list. Um, I wanted something that would be stable at slow speeds. I wanted something that would be easy to get in and out of because I I knew that probably at least 50 or 60% of my passengers would be 50 years and up. Mm -hmm. And uh, as as you would well know, trying to, uh, you've gotten in and out of a lot of Cessnas over the years, I'm sure. And trying to get in and out of the back of a Cessna is not easy if you're 20. 
<laughs> and, the air, and it's not easy if the airplane's on land, but put it on floats and then fast forward to 50 and yep. it starts being a real, a real issue. Yep. So I wanted something that would be easy to get in and out of. I wanted something that looked unusual. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to go past and go, whoa, what is that? Mm -hmm. And then sort of at the bottom of the list was radial engine, not for any actual rational reason, just because they radial engines cool. are cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I looked and looked and looked at a bunch of different airplanes and I came across the Wilga 80 and I went, son of a gun, this thing, this thing ticks every single box. Noise, the noise certificate on it is 61.8 decibels, which is basically about the same as the level of, of noise that we're creating right now by talking. Wow. It's super quiet. You'll see when we go to take well, off. Well, I didn't hear you land. Well, I, I'll have to admit I didn't actually. I just taxied over. Oh, did you? So, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see when we, when we come in. Even on takeoff, the airplane's going to make less noise than the traffic going by behind us on Bradman Avenue here. Wow. So, That's and then quiet. Once it's, and then once it's airborne, at, at 500 feet and cruise power, you can hear it if you pay attention mm. and you're listening for it, but otherwise, not a sound. It's amazing. And it's obviously an unusual looking aircraft. Mm. The, the entire side opens up, so ingress and egress is actually very easy. Mm -hmm. Um, there was an STC to put it on floats, mm -hmm. so that was really good. And uh, so I thought, right, that's, that's what I need. And I was originally thinking I'd have to uh, go to probably Europe or to the U.S. to find one. And I opened my local aviation trader here in Australia. And there it was for sale down in Melbourne. And it was a, looked like a good airplane. The price was right. I had it checked out, and the guy that checked it out went, yep, she's sweet. So I bought it. And was it, it in this color? It was in this color. Um, it was on wheels when I bought it. Yep. Um, it's, the, the Wilga is an amazing, amazing airplane for what we're doing. It's, it's literally perfect for what we're doing with it. It's, it's pretty much rubbish for anything else. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's slow. It drinks a lot of fuel, so we're, doing, we're drinking a liter a minute. Wow. It doesn't carry a lot of fuel. And it's only cruising at 75 knots. Yeah, right. So, you know, liter a minute at 75 knots and 180 liters. Don't maybe. use it for touring. No. No. So it took, me, it took me three days to fly back from Melbourne. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's saying something. It was a great adventure, but it, would, you know, it's, it was definitely not quick. And it would have been pretty expensive. It was. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that I've that I've really, I, I knew this from being involved in aviation before, but now that I'm involved with seaplanes, somehow in my mind, there's like aviation dollars and real dollars. Mm -hmm. And you know, like 2000 aviation dollars is nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> True. Oh no, those are aviation dollars. It was only two grand, that's a bargain. You know, in real dollars, you think, geez, you know, that's a decent down payment on a car or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, so in aviation dollars, it wasn't bad. So you've got the Wilga, you've got her on floats. Um, I've just seen you do a couple of flights, which is awesome. Getting to see it take off and land and it, it, the joy is, on the people's faces. It is so fun. I mean, the, the, and, and what you just said, the joy on people's faces is absolutely the best part of this job. I mean, I love the flying. I love the scenery. But the people are, are what make it really, really worth doing. And that is... 
to, to get back from a flight and have people saying, oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much. That was incredible. And to be able to share this amazing part of aviation with other people mm. is, like I said, that's what makes it worth doing. There's, I think aviation has gotten to a point where it's, it's so sort of sterile. Um, airplanes live behind fences mm. with security and barbed wire and you know and, and so this is sort of like having an airplane out in the wild yeah you know yeah and and it's it's awesome to see to see people's reactions even just on seeing the airplane where they'll they'll come up and they'll look at it and oh wow you know could do you mind if i take pictures no no go for it if there's little kids that are interested it's so awesome it's if there's little kids that are interested i'll go would you like to have a closer look? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you put little four, five, six, eight-year-old, even 10, 12-year-old kids up in the, in the airplane, and they're like, wow, this yeah. is amazing. And if you think about it, when we were young, we could go to the airport, and you could actually walk out at a GA airport. You could actually walk out on the tarmac. You could actually walk up to the airplanes and look at them right up close, and you can't do that anymore. Mm. So that's, I love that. There's, there's that disconnect, isn't there? There really is. And I, you know, I reckon one of my, one of my jobs is to help um, sort of get a new, whole new generation addicted to the idea of flying. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, it's, it's sort of a, a good place to start that. And to, I mean, so yeah, I've obviously been around flying. My, well, you don't know, my dad was in the Air Force. So I've been around oh, yeah. aircraft since I was very little. But this is my first time being up close to a seaplane. Yeah. So you know what I mean. Yeah. So exactly. It's even people having um, exposure to that. Like that's it. Most people, if you were to stop someone on the street, have you ever flown in a plane before? Oh, yeah, I've flown in a plane before. Where'd you fly? I flew to Sydney. Yeah. So the majority of people are talking. They were self-loading cargo on an, an airline. <laughs> that's exactly right. As opposed to having flown in a smaller aircraft, let alone a wheeler, let alone a wheeler on floats. That's it. Like that's very rare. It really, it really, really is. And one of the things, especially the seaplane aspect of it, is is incredibly magic. You know, the, num the, the number of times I've been sitting here between flights and had people walk up to me and say, you know, 40 years ago I went for a flight on a seaplane. And they'll stand there and spend 10 minutes telling me about a flight they did 40 years ago. Mm. And you think, how good is that? Mm. How good is that to be able to be a part of something like that? and to be able to help people make memories like that. Yeah. You know, and this makes such an awesome, um, uh, such an awesome gift as well. You know, I mean, most people, most things, if you give somebody a gift and you ask them six months later what they got, they're like, uh, a tie maybe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> but to be able to give them an experience that they're going to be able to remember 30, 40 years from now, and not just remember, but still be talking about yeah. is phenomenal. Well, one of the, as, as you know, but the listeners don't, one of the gentlemen you just took up for a fly, he was his 80th birthday yesterday. And so for the listeners' sake, he had family flying from Perth. He's had family fly over from New Zealand and Sean got to take him up for a flight. And even after Sean had taken off on the, the second flight, he came over and he was still talking about it. And he was really grateful to Mark, who, was, who works for Sean. And it was just great to see. So he was buzzed. Yep, and that's it. That's yeah. it. And that, and I got to admit that that's a bit contagious. Yeah. You know, and that is that is serious. Seriously, one of the things that gets me up smiling in the morning is is knowing that when I come to work, I'm going to be 
I'm going to be able to share that kind of experience with people. That's fantastic. And so where to for Paradise Seaplanes? Do you see the fleet expanding or do you see it staying? Well, I would, I would love to have the fleet expand a bit. The, the, main, the main issue that we have at the moment is we've had a couple of, a couple of things sort of back to back to back that have, that have prevented us from growing to the point where we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously COVID was, was not helpful because mm-hmm. that shut me down completely for yeah, a year, or a year and tourism. a half. Yeah. Um, and even after they started allowing people out and about, there was still the, the social distancing. And obviously yeah. I can't social distance somebody in a four seat aircraft. Yeah. So that really did shut us down completely for quite a long time. Yep. And that makes it difficult. And then we've had probably the last 12 months, we've had a lot of rain, a lot of wind, yes. which has prevented us from flying. So over the last year, we've had a lot of days, a lot of weeks where we weren't able to fly at all. Yep. And so that, you know, obviously makes it a bit hard to get traction and, and, and get going again. Um, before COVID, we were right on the verge of, of being able to expand and, 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 you know, sort of move to the next level. Wow. But we've had to sort of almost start over from scratch again. Yeah. Thanks, COVID. So, <laughs> yes, that's it. So, but we, you know, with the, with the weather, supposed, with weather turning, we're supposed to have El Nino, which usually is a bit drier, a mm-hmm. um, little bit less windy. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Good ramp up. Yes. So there's a few questions that I like to ask those that I interview. Yeah. Uh, and well, the first one is if you can tell us about, and you'll have plenty of these, but you might have trouble picking one. Tell us about a memorable experience you've had whilst flying and <sighs> why, what made it special to you. That is so hard because, yeah, there are so many. <laughs> I would say, obviously, my first solo. Yeah. I think every, for everybody, that's going to be. And you never that's forget gonna, it. You never forget that. It's that's such an incredible experience. I would say one of my first dates with my wife. Was it an airplane? Was in an airplane. That's um, cool. When she proposed to me, it was. It, it Come was, again. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I had proposed to her, and she was like, "Oh, I'm not quite ready." And I said, right, I'm not going to ask again. Um, if you decide to change your mind, it's up to you. So a few months, a couple of months after that, she, uh, on a Sunday, she said, yeah, why don't we take the, I had a Cessna 140. She said, why don't we take the 140 and, and head over to Fraser Lake, which was a really awesome little grass strip um, just south of San Jose in California. Lots of cool airplanes hangered there, Stearmans and Wacos. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, lots of awesome tailwheel stuff. And a really beautiful, grassy area where you could just go and hang out. She said, why don't we, why don't we head over to Fraser Lake and let's have a picnic? I said, oh, yeah. Twist my arm. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) So we jumped in the, in the 140 and, and flew to to Fraser Lake. And Sandy had made up this really beautiful picnic and, and uh, while we were while we were sitting there chatting about things, she was just sort of playing with a bit of grass, and we were just talking. And finally, she she said, "Will you marry me?" And I said, "Are you serious?" <laughs> <laughs> and she said, "Yes." And what she'd been doing was she had actually been braiding a little ring oh, out of grass. Oh, how sweet. So that was pretty cool. So that was obviously one of the very, very memorable, very memorable. ones. 
first flight with my oldest son, mm -hmm. very memorable. Um, my younger son, memorable as well, but he wasn't as thrilled. Mm -hmm. um, Shane has been fascinated with airplanes since before he could talk. Right. Um, I wonder why. Well, but, but, Ryan, but Ryan isn't. So Ryan thinks airplanes are good because they're faster than driving. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's pretty much the extent of his fascination with airplanes. Cool. We can get on a plane. We can get there quicker. Mm -hmm. But Shane, before he could talk, one of my one of my students at the flight school had given me a calendar that was um, warbirds, really beautifully done pictures of warbirds in flight. And on the on the back of this calendar were all twelve pictures in smaller, obviously smaller format, and. Shane loved that calendar. So he's like a year, maybe a bit, bit more than a year old, because I think he started actually talking at about 18 months. Mm -hmm. And we'd, he, we'd sit down and we'd look at the calendar and he'd look at the pictures and I'd point to the different airplanes and I'd tell him what they were. And he, just, he, he would just sit there and do that for 20, 30 minutes at a time, no problem at all. Yeah, right. And after about two weeks of this, I was sort of getting over it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, all right, I'm just going to, just for grins, I'm going to ask him. I said, Shane, show me the P-51 Mustang. And sure enough, he took his finger and pointed right at the P-51. And I went, whoa, that was a pretty awesome coincidence. Yeah. I said, all right, show me the Corsair. And bang, there's the Corsair. Where's the B-70? 12 airplanes, flawless. Every single one, just point to it, knew it, no problem. Wow. By the time he was three, maybe four, he knew all the major parts of an airplane. We went to the Salinas Air Show when I was, when he was probably, I think he was four. We went to the Salinas Air Show and there was somebody from the Air Force there that was displaying a, uh, a cargo plane. I don't remember which one. And the lady that was, that was manning the display saw Shane and he was wearing a little bomber jacket with fleece collar and you know mm. looked pretty cute and she said oh do you like airplanes and Shane's like oh I love airplanes she said well do you know do you know what parts of the airplane are called and Shane said yes because he was a very serious young man mm -hmm. he still is he still is <laughs> and she said well what's that and she points to the wing and Shane goes well that's the wing and I said you can ask him harder questions if you want she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, like flight controls and that sort of thing. She, really? I said, yeah. So she points at the aileron. She goes, what's that? Shane says, aileron. What's that? Flap. What's, what's that? Fuselage. What, well, what do you call the, the whole back part of the airplane? Empennage. <laughs> <laughs> Vertical stabilizer, horizontal stabilizer, elevator, rudder. No problem at all. So, you know, he's been, he's been absolutely, absolutely fascinated with airplanes his whole life. But uh, yeah, Shane not, or Ryan, not so much. Not so much. And um, we were talking a bit um, a bit before we started recording. Shane's currently working his way e either into the Australian Defence Force or the Correct. US Air Force as a pilot. Correct. He's working currently on, on uh, getting into the Australian Defence Force. He's applied to the Australian Defence Force Academy. Mm -hmm. And so far, he's gone through his first couple of interviews and tests. And they, uh, the last test was the aptitude test. And they said, yep, you qualify to be a pilot from the aptitude perspective. So 
He's got to have a an interview with the people from ADFA coming up on the 30th. Mm-hmm. And then if that goes well, then he's off to Canberra. That's awesome. So, yeah, really excited for him. Well, we'll closely was- watch him. I've had a chat with Shane, and he's more than willing to have a chat with me. Yep. So I'll um, keep an eye on that progress and see which way he goes. Awesome. That's so cool. Um, what's one of your most fear-filled flight experiences? Or maybe memorable for the wrong kind of reasons? Let me explain it this way. I have a friend back in the States named Nick Nicholson. Nick Nick. And we were talking one day, and he said that he had been at a party where this guy was was regaling the other guests with all of these death-defying, really scary things that he'd done as a pilot. And after he'd told a bunch of stories and kind of wandered off and done something else, some of the people knew that Nick was a pilot, and they came over and they said to Nick, they said, so, have you got any, any experiences like that? And Nick went, uh, no, not really. He said... That other guy, he's a member of the He-Man Macho Flying Club. <laughs> I'm a member of the Wussy Little Freddy Cat Flying Club, and we don't do that kind of stuff. So, so um, you know, I, I, I tend to align much more closely with Nick than yeah, I do with the other guy. I can relate to that. Um, yeah, so I try really, really, really hard to not do things that would put me in that kind of a situation. So, you know, honestly, I... I can't think of any where I've really been been scared in the airplane. Well, that's good. That's so, good. Yeah. No, very good. This is a question that'll get rolled eyes at me, I'm sure, time and time again. If you were given an expense-free opportunity to be endorsed on any airframe, what would it be and why? I think a G5. Ah, Gulfstream. Gulfstream G5. Very nice. Just because that's something I could never actually do in real life. <laughs> I have always thought they were one of the most beautiful aircraft ever designed. They're they just are. fantastic. They and, are beautiful. And the only thing that I would consider doing other than what I've, I've done all along in aviation would be to do something, to do that type of flying possibly, you know, corporate. corporate. Yeah, um, yeah I, think that, I think that would be interesting. Yeah. I got but, to sit in a G5 at Avalon back yeah. in 2013. And, and it was just next level. Like, everything was next level. Yeah. Very, very nice. So, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yep, yep. yep. Very different to the Wilga. It is very different than the Wilga or a, J- a J3 Cub. Yes. <laughs> I do need to come back. I'll circle back on a question later on about the Wilga. Yep. Uh, what advice would you give someone starting out in aviation? What would you recommend to them that they should be doing maybe when they're looking for someone to fly with or what type of flying that would what advice would you give them well the the first thing i would say is to not let anybody talk you out of it like like they eyesight or yeah yeah because it it truly is the best job in the world Mm -hmm. it really is so i would say don't let anybody talk you out of it but i would also say be aware that it's not easy to get into mm-hmm. right so you've got to you're you're going to hit a lot of hurdles and the main thing is to not give up mm. you know and when you're when you're in the process of learning to fly don't give up mm-hmm. you know it, it, it doesn't matter who you are everybody during the course of learning to fly hits plateaus where they just think, oh, you know, there's some, they, they just have something that's, that's difficult. Mm. They're having a hard time getting past. And too many people hit that and just quit. Mm. Don't. 
don't quit. Yeah, push through it. Just push through. Yeah. Just keep going. You know, we've had, um, I had a guy that was probably the oddest learning curve of anybody I've ever taught in my life. And he was an ex-Navy SEAL. He was a trader on the, on the bond market. He had done extremely well for himself. At about the age of 50, he decided he wanted to fly. Right. And he came to our flight school, and he originally actually started flying with Robin. And Robin is one of my favorite people in, in the world, but patience is not one of Robin's best things. <laughs> so he started teaching him to fly, and we got to the point where he was trying to teach him to land, and he just was not getting it. And Robin came in and said, we're going to have to fire him. I said, what do you mean? He said, we're going to have to fire him. He's just not getting it. I said, but does he want to quit? No, but he's just not going to get it. I said, Robin, he, just give him time. I think he will. Well, he's an ex-SEAL. Hmm. So one of the things that you know if somebody's ex-Special Forces is that quitting is not really high on the list of their abilities. They've been through buds. Yeah. So I've got, <laughs> I've got a good friend here in Australia who's a, who was a, a, a parajumper in the Air Force in the U.S., which is the, U, the Air Force version of Special Forces. Right. And he said the main way that he got through training was just that he was too stupid to quit. Right. So <laughs> he just kept going. Yeah. And, and so I said, look, I'll take over training him. And so I started flying with him. And, you know, most people, they, you, as time goes on, they get a little bit better, a little bit better. Maybe they, they plateau out a little bit. Maybe they go down a little bit. But then they start going back up again. This guy... Flight after flight after flight, there was no change at all. Wow. <laughs> None. He, he didn't get any better at all. And I was trying all kinds of different ways to explain things to him. I took him over to Fraser Lake to the grass airstrip because that's we were learning to fly in the 140, which no, no progress, no progress, no progress. And then one day after about probably 10 hours in the circuit, he nailed it just absolutely perfect landing i said man that was perfect do that again so we took off came around he did it again just clicked and just every single landing after that was perfect <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it and i the other things i taught him in the airplane followed the same trajectory no improvement no improvement no improvement perfect right and so when he, when he finished with me and got his private license and decided he wanted to do his uh, instrument rating, I turned him over to a friend of mine that teaches instrument rating. And I explained to him, this is how this guy learns. And after a couple of weeks, my, my friend came back to me and went, you're right. <laughs> He's like, no improvement at all. And then perfect. Yep. So the thing that kept him, the thing that got him his license was that he didn't quit. Persistence, yeah. He didn't quit. And he is a fantastic pilot at this point. Part of being a flight instructor, one of the things you do for people is you do flight reviews. Mm -hmm. So I've had the opportunity to, do, to fly with people with all kinds of different levels of experience. And I have flown with people that, you know, I soloed in three hours, like, mm -hmm. you know, back in just before WW2. And, you know, 
I'll be damned if they don't still fly like they've got three hours. Mm. You know, I've flown people that soloed in three hours that fly beautifully. I've flown people that took 60 or 80 hours to get their license. Mm. And some of them fly like rubbish and some of them fly beautifully. So I've never seen any correlation between how much time it takes you to solo, how much time it takes you to get your license, and how good of a pilot you eventually wind up being. Mm -hmm. So again, my main, my main thing would be, if it's something you want to do, do it. If it's something that you've wanted to do for years and have put off and you think you're too old, you're not. Mm -hmm. One of the guys that I did a flight review for was 77 years old. And, you know, we did the, did the ground portion of it, you know, a bit of chatting, got in the airplane, went up. And this guy flew beautifully. And I asked him, I said, so how long have you been flying? And I, again, I was expecting, oh, well, WW2, I was a Corsair pilot. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh, two years? <laughs> <laughs> so this guy learned to fly at 75 years of age and flew beautifully. So, like I said, if you think you're too old, you're not. Yep, it, may, it, it may take you longer. You know, that old saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That is not true. You can. It just takes longer. Mm. You know, if you're, if you're 50 or 60 and you want to learn to fly, you are not going to do it in the minimum number of hours. I'm sorry, you're not. But you will do it and do it well if you stick with it. That's fantastic advice. Absolutely fantastic. So a question I wanted to ask, there's a... Pretty famous Wilga. Yes. Draco. Draco. Awesome. That, that was going to be my question. What yes. do you think? I can't remember oh. the chap's name. It's Mike Patey. Mike Patey, that's it. Mike Patey is amazing. The energy that that oh, guy has goodness. is phenomenal. Yes. And and his ability, I wish I could find somebody to work on my airplane that, that could do the stuff that Patey can do. Because he goes, oh, we just need a part like this. So last night, I just whipped one up. Him and his brother. Yes. Yes. They're awesome. I love watching those guys. I The day that I saw the on his YouTube channel when the... Draco, I think it, it might have ground looped or it something. Did. Yeah, yeah he ground oh, looped. I it. almost cried. I did too. But one of the again, one of the things that I really, really like about Mike Patey is that he didn't make any excuses. He owned it. Yeah. He basically just said, "Look, I was stupid. I made a bad decision, and I'm just glad that it didn't it didn't cost me or my wife my life." Yeah. And we can rebuild the airplane. Yeah. He said, "But you know, it, it was totally on me." The entire reason that I that we that we had that was because of what I did. The other thing I love about Mike Patey and, and seeing him since then is just been his attitude. Like it didn't stop him. No. It's that same persistence and That's determination. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He just you know and and the stuff that he did with that airplane was just phenomenal. Well, like I mentioned earlier, being here today and seeing the Wilger, and I'm sitting there thinking it. Mike put a PT6 on the yes. front of it. <laughs> you know, having flown a caravan, it's a bit bigger than a wheel gun. It is. And to put that engine on that little plane, it that's is. no wonder it can almost stand on its prop. Yeah, well, he was getting, what, three or 4,000 foot a minute rate of climb out insane, of it. Insane, insane. And, and cruising at 100, he was doing 180 knots true at 20-something thousand feet on oxygen. In a wheel <laughs> In a wheel gun. Which <laughs> <laughs> just cracked me up. Oh, well, actually, there's a question. So, I don't know. What's the VNE on the Wilga? 
Um, this one I think is 95 knots with the with the floats on it. So he must have had a whole lot more modification going well, on. Well, he to did, and he also didn't have he also didn't have floats. floats. Yeah, only um, his, his fuel tank undercarriage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, he did do a bunch of a bunch of modifications, but keep in mind that was 180 knots true. Right. Oh, so, at twenty thousand feet. Yeah. yeah so you know, indicated. his indicated would have been a lot a lot further south of that. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Well, that that's cool. I just wanted to get your take yeah, on that. No, I thought that was that was such an awesome airplane, and yeah, I just about cried when he crashed it. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks so much for coming on the, the Absolutely podcast. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been fantastic to interview you. Um, couple of you're a very humble man because I asked you about Paradise Seaplanes and you didn't even mention that you've won like the Traveler's Choice Award three well, years yeah, in a row. We have. We're, we've tra- uh, TripAdvisor has ranked us in the top 10% of experiences worldwide for three year, the last three years in a row. So yeah, we are very proud of that. That's pretty incredible. Um, my other understanding, because I did a bit of stalking, um, sorry, research, <laughs> is that you own the only float plane converted Wilga in the Southern Hemisphere. As far as I can tell, Wilga 80. There's a Wilga 2000 on floats down at Lake Macquarie. Right. Okay. Wilga so Wilga 80? 80. Yep. yep. The, as far as I can tell, I've, I've looked and looked and looked, and there's not very many of them. And the only ones I've been able to find are all in the Northern Hemisphere, so. right yeah. So when you combo TripAdvisor Worldwide saying that flying with you is in the top 10% of experiences that you could do, you combo that with my comments earlier on about whenever I fly back into the Sunshine Coast as self-loading cargo, I'm just, we live in paradise. We really, really do. And you combo that with an incredibly rare aircraft, I would have to say you would be nuts. If you were visiting the Sunshine Coast, Put that money in your budget and get up in the air. Thank you. I would I would agree with that, obviously. I'm going to have but, to put my money where my <laughs> mouth is and do the same. That would be awesome. We'd love to take you up. <laughs> and where, where can people find you on the internet if they are planning so, a trip here? Uh, ParadiseSeaplanes.com or ParadiseSeaplanes.com.au. Either one, of, either one, will, either get one will get to us. And obviously and you're on the socials. We're on, we're on Facebook. Um, we've got a fantastic... Uh, social media person that does a great job of getting all kinds of cool posts up there so have a look at that yep um we're on instagram and we may even have some stuff on tiktok at this point okay so, yeah. so you'll find out so if nothing else follow on the socials and then yep. when you when you come to paradise here on the sunshine coast you can come fly with us make it happen we would love to have you thanks so much sean absolutely my pleasure As this thrilling episode draws to a close, I hope you've been inspired by Sean Kelly's incredible story. From overcoming challenges to realizing his dreams, Sean's journey reminds us that with unwavering perseverance, the sky is never out of reach. Whether it's defying expectations or starting a venture like Paradise Seaplanes, Sean exemplifies the spirit of exploration and the limitless possibilities that lie within our grasp. So spread your wings and chase your own aspirations, knowing that the sky is yours to conquer. Join us next time for more fascinating discussions. Subscribe now on your favourite podcast platform and if you'd like to help out, feel free to leave a review. That'll help spread the word. Alternatively, you can listen to the podcast on the High Fly Media YouTube channel. Music for the podcast is titled Dance With Me by Asha Lee, available at upbeat.io. The High Fly Media podcast, uncovering the people and passion behind aviation, one story at a time.